That's a change in what I had planned to do in my preaching tonight. I had planned tonight, with it being approaching the new year, to speak on the subject of resolution. The title of the sermon, I Am Resolved. But as I was putting the finishing touches on that message and getting it ready, I began to feel more and more that it was something that needed to be preached on a Sunday morning because some of the application in that sermon is about being committed to Christ's church. And the Sunday morning crowd often needs to hear that more than the Sunday night crowd, don't they? Uh, Tonight I would in some ways be preaching to the choir. And so uh, I have put that message away, and in a couple of Sundays uh, I'm going to preach that on Sunday morning. And so tonight uh, that, that message has swapped places with this one. And we're going to continue on uh, in the book of Exodus. Now, I know that it's been several weeks since we were here uh, in Exodus 4, Exodus chapter 4. So let me remind you what's going on. You have Moses. He's 80 years old. He's been a shepherd in Midian for 40 years. We've just listened to God speak to him through a burning bush at Mount Sinai where he was caring for his father-in-law's sheep. And God has told Moses that he is to return to Egypt, that ancient superpower. And he is to confront the most powerful man in the world at that time, indeed one of the most powerful men that has ever lived. And he is to lead Israel out of their slavery. And so I want us to look at the passage we looked at last time we were together in Exodus 4, but we're going to focus in a little bit of a different place. So Exodus 4, beginning in verse 18. Exodus 4, beginning in verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Now, last time we made three observations about verses 18 through 20. We saw Moses' respect for authority. We saw Moses' respect for his father-in-law Jethro. We also saw that Moses has now been away from Egypt for a full 40 years. And we saw that during those 40 years, a lot changes. And in Egypt, a change in government and leadership had taken place. Then we narrowed in together on verse 21. And we really spent some time talking about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. Uh, We tried to dig deep into the reality that our God is sovereign. And He holds the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl in His hands. And He has the power to harden hearts 
And He has the power to soften hearts as He wills. Now tonight, I want to focus on verses 22 and 23. Verses 22 and 23, when we have this declaration, God declares Israel to be His firstborn son. And God's message, which Moses is to deliver to Pharaoh, is that if Pharaoh will not let God's firstborn son go free, then God will kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. Now, all of God's Word is given to us for our good. And I understand we are not a church of Jewish people. But we need to take some time to make sense of what it means that Israel is God's firstborn son. What did that mean 3,500 years ago when God spoke this to Moses? Is it still true today? Uh, Is it true that that modern Israel has the same relationship with God that the Israel that was enslaved in Egypt had with God? Uh, Is it true, as President Clinton said so many years ago, that if America stands with Israel, God will stand with America? Also, we remember that the New Testament says that all of these verses in the Old Testament were written down for our benefit today. So what in the world does God's adoption of ancient Israel have to do with your life? How does that benefit my life? And I think as we jump into these two verses, you'll see that actually they are very, very important for you and for me. Indeed, what if I told you that God had you in mind and that His love for you was one great reason that He adopted ancient Israel as a nation? What if I told you that God cared for ancient Israel for your sake? So let's unpack these two verses, and I want to do so under two headings. The nature of this adoption... We'll just stop there. The nature of this adoption, okay? Because we're not going to get to the second heading. So, the nature of this adoption. And under this heading, I want to make... Five statements, okay? Five statements under this heading, the nature of this adoption. Number one, God's adoption of Israel brought many earthly benefits. So you have all the nations in the world, and God chooses one, just one, and says, you are going to be my nation, you are going to be my son, And when God adopted Israel, it brought many earthly benefits. Think about a peasant child suddenly adopted by a great king. Do you think that child's life is going to change? Do you think that that child taken from poverty is now going to be, well, see his life become something different because he's been brought into the royal family? Of course it will. Think about Moses himself. Moses was a Hebrew boy born to Israelite parents on his way to a life of slavery, on his way to a life of suffering, and then suddenly he was adopted by royalty. He was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh, and the trajectory of Moses' life changed forever. His adoption by the royal family brought many earthly benefits, as we've talked about before. So as you can imagine, Israel being adopted as God's firstborn son meant many earthly benefits for them. What were they? We'll come into that in a few minutes. Just know it brought many earthly benefits. Number two, God's adoption of national Israel brought many spiritual benefits 
but did not automatically save. So let me say that again. God's adoption of national Israel brought many spiritual benefits to those people, but did not automatically save. So let me hit on the end of that statement first, because there are some Christians who do seem to believe that Jews automatically go to heaven just because they are Jews. Um, There are some who think that though the vast majority of Jews in the past and the vast majority of Jews today do not believe on Jesus, they have some kind of special relationship with God that gives them a free pass to salvation. Uh, Many of the Jews that Jesus was speaking to in the first century seemed to assume that they were going to heaven just because they were Jews. So in Matthew 3, verse 9, some of the religious leaders come to John the Baptist for baptism, and he refuses to baptize them because their lives show no evidence of true repentance. And then John the Baptist looked at these Pharisees, and he said to them, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. In other words, John warns them explicitly not to presume that they are okay with God just because Abraham is their father. He says, no, real children of Abraham can come from anywhere, even these stones. Well, all through the ministry of Jesus, we find him pronouncing the truth that his own people, the Jews, were not receiving him. And he tells his own people that because they will not receive him, their end will be judgment. In the Gospels, we read hard passages in which Jesus pronounces woes on city after city after he visits these people because they will not believe in him. Uh, There is certainly no sense at all in the four Gospels that Jesus thought the Jews would go to heaven just because they were Jews. And Paul in Romans 2 is as clear as can be. He says in verses 28 and 29, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from man, but from God. So Paul states the truth there in in crystal clear clarity. that The true Jew with the true circumcision, is one who is inwardly, spiritually a Jew, having received an inward, spiritual circumcision. It's called being born again. So in other words, when it comes to spiritual matters, like heaven and hell and a right relationship with God, having Abraham's blood in your veins profits you nothing. And it is dangerous for us to treat Jews as if they automatically go to heaven. Because of attitudes like this, we are seeing the gospel go out to the furthermost parts of this world in a way that it never has in the history of the world. But we are seeing less passion and we are seeing less energy in getting the gospel to Israel. There are some groups out there. We should be thankful for groups like Jews for Jesus. Um, They have some, some issues of their own, but at least there are a few groups whose mission is to get the gospel to unbelieving Jews. But you don't see much passion behind that. And it's because many Christians have this false assumption that, that the Jews don't need the gospel. And that's a terrible fault. And we don't want to see Jews not being reached with the gospel because of bad theology. 
So let's make sure our theology is right so that we will have that evangelistic impulse to see Israelites saved. Now, having said all that, let me hit on the first part of my statement. God's adoption of national Israel did bring many spiritual benefits. When God chose Israel out of all the nations on on the earth, right? Here's Assyria, here's Babylon, here's Egypt, here's the the Minoans over here, and you got all these. and, And he says, Israel, Israel is going to be mine. Suddenly they were given benefits that other nations did not have. Here's the main one. Israel received the Scriptures. Israel received direct communication from the true God. While the rest of the world was blind, walking in darkness, worshiping all kinds of imaginary deities, the true God gave light to this one nation and spoke to them. Israel had His message. In the book of Exodus, we're going to see God give to Israel an entire law and religious system in which the gospel is going to be taught to them in every little aspect of their practice. From the curtains of the tabernacle to the clothing of the priests, from the sacrifices of the people who were, that they were to make at their religious feast, Jesus was being preached to the, to the Jews at a time when Jesus wasn't pre- being preached anywhere else in the world. Indeed, the Israelites were given the Scriptures themselves, preaching to them the promises of one who would crush the serpent and make all things right. And so therefore, while Israelites did not automatically go to heaven just because they were Jews, there were many in Israel who through the Scriptures came to know the true God and were saved. And they had that opportunity while so many around them never did. This was a great benefit to having been adopted by God. Number three, point number three. God's adoption of national Israel took place for the sake of the Messiah. God's adoption of national Israel took place for the sake of the Messiah. God came along the nation of Israel, made her His own, cared for her, loved her, and He did so for this reason. From her, the hope of the whole world would come. The devil knew God's promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob that from them the Messiah would come. Uh, This means that as soon as God made that promise to Abraham that the Messiah would come from him, there was a target on Abraham's back. The devil was after him. And on Abraham's seed, and then Isaac's seed, and Jacob's seed, these people have targets on their back. Satan knows his arch enemy, Jesus Christ, is going to come from them. And he's working to destroy them. He's working to make them immoral. He's working to defeat them. He's doing everything in his power to destroy this nation. And therefore, God took the people of Israel under his special care to protect her until the appointed day that the Messiah would come. This is God speaking through Paul in Galatians 3, beginning in verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. In other words, God's way of salvation is that of faith in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the one who died for sinners. Jesus is the one who rose again. Jesus is the door to heaven. But until He came, the law that God gave to His people Israel, once they got out of Egypt, served as a guardian to them. God's law protected the people of Israel. It it sought to keep them safe so that they would not become disseminated into the pagan peoples around them. How easy it would have been for Israel to adopt the pagan practices of the people around them. How easy it would have been for them to begin to intermarry and to intermarry and to intermarry until it was no longer clear that there even are children of Abraham on earth anymore. If God was going to prove His promise true, if God was going to show that He is faithful, then there must be believing, distinct, physical children of Abraham trusting Him when the Messiah comes. And so God, through His law, protected His people. God's adoption of Israel as His firstborn son and His giving Israel His word and His rules. All good fathers give their children rules. He gave His children rules to care for them and God protected them from mortal danger so that Israel would still exist as a nation, a Yahweh-worshipping Abrahamic nation in the first century so that His promise would come true. In other words, God's adoption of Israel was all about Jesus. And in that way, it was all about you. And it was all about me. It was about God showing you that He keeps His promises. It was all about Him defending Israel from Satan so that your Messiah, your Savior, would come as He promised. God didn't choose Israel because He cared less for the rest of the world. God chose Israel because Jesus is a Savior for the world and it was from Israel He would come. God cared for Israel for our sakes. Number four, God's adoption of national Israel was temporary. God's adoption of national Israel was temporary. Now that's the most controversial statement um, that I will make here. But I simply must say that the scriptural evidence, as well as the historical evidence, shows us that God's earthly relationship with national Israel as a special nation on earth is over, at least in the way it existed in the Old Testament. Why? Well, first, as I have argued, God's adoption of Israel was in order to guard them until the Messiah would come safely into the world. And the Messiah has now come. God's great purpose in Israel has been accomplished. Second, God's relationship with the earthly nation of Israel was always meant to be a picture of His relationship with His true Israel, the church in every age. The Old Testament was the time of prophetic shadows, but we live in the day of light. We live in the day of fulfillment. We no longer need the shadow. We have the real thing. The kingdom of God has come. The church, the true Israel of God is being built. The children of Abraham by blood were always a picture of the true children of Abraham united to God by faith. Galatians 3.7 Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
Third, the Old Testament promised again and again that when the Messiah came, He would be the cornerstone and the Jews would stumble over Him and they would not believe and God would turn against them in judgment. Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Listen to the Lord Jesus Himself speak to the Jews in the book of Matthew. He says, Have you never read the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then He looked at His fellow Jews and He said this, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Did you all hear me? Okay. Jesus said to the Jews, The kingdom of God is being taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Uh, frankly, what is God's adoption of national Israel except His promise to care for them as a father does? And throughout the Old Testament, there were times when God was just about ready to destroy the entire nation, but He never did. There were seasons of severe discipline. There were seasons of great judgment and exile. But God always brought His people back. God continued to care for Israel. But in Jesus' day, the rejection of Jesus Christ the Messiah was the great sin of Israel. And in 70 AD, the ancient nation of Israel, adopted by God, ceased to exist. Have you ever noticed that very somber moment? when Jesus is carrying His cross to Golgotha. And Luke tells us there's this multitude of women who are around Him. They're following behind Him as He carries the cross. We're told that they're mourning Him. They're lamenting for Him. And do you remember what Jesus said to the women who were weeping for Him? Luke 23, beginning of verse 28. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for Me but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Jesus spoke there of a great judgment to come on the Jews because of their rejection of Him. And under the great military commander Titus, who would later become emperor of Rome, Jerusalem was besieged and destroyed. The temple was utterly destroyed with not one stone left lying atop another. And unlike what happened in the Old Testament, here we are in 2014, that temple has never been rebuilt. Indeed, it wasn't until 1948 almost 2,000 years later, that a nation called Israel arose again. So we make a big mistake if we think that the modern, unbelieving nation of Israel is under the same care as the Israel we find here in Exodus 4. Modern Israel continues to reject the true God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ancient Israel was a theocracy. God was the true king of Israel. And even the later human kings were to serve under the authority of God as king. Modern Israel was very different. It's a Jewish democracy. It's a secular democracy. 
according to a missionary who is in Israel that I listened to recently, he said that the conservative Jews in Israel have lately latched on to a man that they believe is their Messiah. Uh, he died just a few years ago, and there have been more and more who are saying that this man, uh, who, who was in Israel, a very popular teacher who died a few years ago, they now think he is the Messiah. And he said, you, you see his picture all over Jerusalem as you're traveling around. These are not people who have a special relationship with God. These are people who need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have one more statement to make that I want us to uh, quickly dig into some of the blessings we see come upon Israel because of God adopting that nation. Actually, we probably won't get to that tonight. Um, I want us to see that just as God fought against Pharaoh for the sake of Israel, his son, so God fights for you and me because we are now his children. A year ago in Romans 8, we saw the blessings of being adopted by God. And I want us to see something of that again as we think about how God cared for for His adopted child, Israel, in the book of Exodus. The Bible makes a wonderful connection between God's fatherly care of Israel in the Old Testament and the way He is caring for us right now in these New Testament days. But I'm going to close the message tonight with... Three implications of what we've seen. So that's what we're going to do. Three implications of what we've seen. Number one, we cannot say with biblical grounds that if a nation stands with modern Israel, God will stand with that nation. So I disagree with former President Clinton on that statement. I do not think we can biblically say if America stands with Israel, God will stand with America. That would have been true of Old Testament Israel. God blessed the nations that blessed Old Testament Israel. And He brought harm on the nations that did harm to Old Testament Israel. But that nation no longer exists. It was destroyed by God Himself when they rejected His only begotten Son. Now, don't hear me saying that that means America shouldn't stand with Israel. There are other political reasons, other reasons, why America might want to stand with Israel. Um, I don't believe the pulpit is the right place for me to share personal political opinions. But get with me after the service and I will share with you some reasons why it might be wise for America to stand with Israel. I just want you to understand that we should not include among those reasons God's going to especially bless us if we stand with Israel. Number two, we can say with biblical grounds and we must say that if a nation stands with the church... God will stand with that nation. We must say that. For just as God cared for and loved His people Israel as a father and blessed the nations that blessed His people, so now God does the same thing for the true Israel, for His people, the church, made up of people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. It is those of faith who are the true Israel, the true children of Abraham, and God will fight to defend them and to care for them. And if America wants to be blessed by God, here is one commitment America should make. A commitment to protecting God's people here in our land and around the world. Not in any of our lifetimes have Christians been under more attack in this world than apparently what the numbers show from the last two years. It is mind-boggling when you consider how many Christians have died in just the last two years. 
and I just Googled this week um, persecution. Went to persecution.com and persecution.org and persecution.net. That's Voice of the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs Canada, and a different organization. Uh, I can't think of any other time I could tell you what that organization is. And what what were the headlines for this week? Uh, There were reports this week about Christians being persecuted or killed in Vietnam, Indonesia, Pakistan, Egyptian Christians kidnapped in Libya, five Christians murdered for their faith in Nigeria, um, uh, article in Voice of the Martyrs about the 100,000 Christians that were driven from their homes in Syria over the summer. Uh, uh, in Vietnam, hired thugs that, raised, that raided a major Bible college there. Now, our brothers and sisters in Christ are being attacked around the world. And if we want America to be blessed by God, then America needs to step up and stand with these persecuted Christians. And so if you want to get political about something, if you want to write your congressman about something, if you want to spread your word about something, let us raise awareness about this and urge our political leaders to stand with God's people around the world. At the same time, let us preach loudly and boldly that if our nation continues to infringe upon the rights of Christians, God will oppose this nation. If our country continues down the current path that we're on, a path in which uh, our country is making it more and more difficult for Christians to speak the truth and live obediently to God, we should expect our Father to respond on our behalf. God said, Matthew 18, 6, through Jesus, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And so America needs to wake up and we need to repent of the direction that we're heading and we need to do so rapidly. And then our final implication, and it's this. Since God is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, our eternal fate is determined by whether or not we stand with Him. God says to Pharaoh, you mess with my firstborn son Israel, you mess with me. But that is just a picture of how God feels towards His ultimate son, the Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of all things, every one of us in this room will be judged on what we did with God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Did we love God's son? Did we honor God's son? Did we trust God's son? Or did we rebel against Him? Did we disregard Him? Did we demean Him? God's Son is the Lord Jesus Christ who died for sinners. He willingly gave up His life and He has become the door of salvation. What have you done with that door? Have you walked through it? Have you walked through that door, embraced the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to Him by faith? Do you value God's Son and the great act of love that He did for you on the cross? Do you see that Jesus, God's Son, is worthy of your love, your adoration, your your eternal obedience and joyful submission? Or are you spurning the very Son of the Most High God? The judgment that would come against Pharaoh and Egypt came because of how they treated God's Son. And the final judgment will be based on the same thing. What have you done with the Son of God? That's a good place to stop. Let's pray.